time for Americans to grow up and become financially responsible. Let's talk about something important. If you're in it for the money, that's not a bad thing. Do you realize how much money he just saved us? This is The Financial Physician with Lou Scatigna. The Financial Physician. It's the fastest hour in Money Talk Radio. It's also my pleasure to see to it that decent, hardworking people in this community aren't robbed blind by a pack of money-mad pirates. This is financial advice you can take to the bank. He's your money man. Show me the money. Your source for straightforward, no-nonsense financial advice. Bring me your money questions because I'm here to help. And now, here he is, the financial physician, America's money doctor, Lou Scatigna. Hello, my friends. How are you? And welcome to today's edition of the financial physician, Lou Scatigna here, certified financial planner. We get together twice a week to talk about money, markets, politics, and anything I feel like talking about. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for taking time out of your busy day uh, to listen to our show today. we got a good show for you today. We're going to talk about a lot of different things. We're going to talk about the impeachment inquiry. It seems like the walls are closing in on the Bidens. We're going to talk about uh, a judge going after Donald Trump's businesses, basically stealing them and taking them over. And wanting to liquidate them in New York. We'll talk about that. Uh, we're going to talk about the government shutdown. Lots to talk about today. But I want to start off talking about the chapter in a book that deals with taxes. Uh, and the reason why people fail financially is because they fail to use the tax code to their advantage. Now, I was thinking about, do I really want to talk about taxes on this program? I mean, is there a more boring subject uh, than income taxes? And I was going to, you know, pass over this chapter, but I'm not. Because it is so important. And we're going to try to keep it as easy to listen to as possible. I don't want to get too far in the weeds with taxes. But the most important thing you have to know is that the federal government is our partner in all our financial ventures. We do all the work, but it takes a cut of everything we earn. Now, the government gives us many opportunities to avoid taxes, but many people don't take advantage of them. And they pay more taxes than necessary. That's why it's so important to deal with a tax professional to make sure that you're not giving too much money to the government. And I call taxes financial side effects. They could uh, trigger serious reactions to our financial lives. And just as every medication has a side effect, every financial transaction has tax consequences. So if you want to boost your financial health, uh, learn how to save money by paying as little taxes as possible. And, and as an accountant, and I've been a tax accountant for 35 years, I don't want to pay a dollar more in taxes than I legally have to. And I don't want my clients to pay a dollar more in taxes than they legally have to. And the reason why I pay, people pay more taxes than they really need to is because of ignorance. Ignorance is the number one reason why taxpayers too much taxes. They don't know how to use the tax code to their advantage, and it costs them money. And again, reason number two is they don't get good tax advice. A good accountant, a good tax accountant is worth their, their, their waiting gold to you. The money that they will save you with the proper tax advice more than pays for their fees. And it's so important if you're not an expert on taxes yourself that you get that advice. Tax laws are complex. They change all the time. And I'm going to give you a basic introduction to understand the differences in tax deferral or tax-free. Tax-free sounds good, but it may not always be the right way to go. So 
So let's start off talking about the difference between tax-free and tax-deferred. You take a 401k, for instance. That's the main retirement plan now for people, unless you work for the state or you work for the union and you got a pension. Most of us aren't that lucky. And we have to save for our own retirement. So it's either we're going to use individual retirement accounts or we're going to use 401ks or 403bs. And these are tax-deferred accounts. So what does that mean? Well, usually let's take a 401k, for instance. IRAs work the same way, a traditional IRA. You put money in the account, either it comes out of your pay, in the case of a 401k, or you make a, a check out to your IRA account if you're doing it separately. Now, number one, that is tax deductible in most cases. So you're not paying tax on the money that goes into the account. That's the first advantage to tax deferred accounts. Number two, the growth in that account is not taxed during its accumulation period. The only way you do get taxed on tax-deferred accounts is when you take the money out. And in most cases, every dollar that comes out is taxable. And whatever your tax rate is at the time, you pay taxes on it. Tax-free, on the other hand, let's take Roth IRAs, for instance. You put money in a Roth IRA, you don't get the immediate tax deduction for it. It goes in with after-tax money. So you're not going to get an immediate tax advantage. But for the life of the account, it grows tax-free. Now, most people would say, well, I want the tax deduction. I could save a lot of money on my taxes. Yes, but you're going to pay it later on. So what's better? Well, a Roth IRA is better in the long term. But if you're in a high tax bracket, then a traditional IRA may be the smarter thing to do. The theory being is that, uh, well, you're in a high tax bracket, so you get that deduction. So maybe you save 32%. And when you take the money out, maybe you're paying 10% tax on it. And that's what I do with my own retirement planning. I use tax-deductible IRA accounts because I'm in a very high tax bracket and it helps my tax situation. And when I take the money out at retirement, I will be in a lower tax bracket. Makes sense to me. Other times, the Roth IRA makes much more sense. Because you figure, well, I'm not going to get a tax deduction on a 6000 I put in and whatever it is. But when it grows to $60,000, i am going to get a tax-free distribution from that. So there's a big difference there. And you have to look at your own personal situation. Now, most people do not max out their 401k plans. And they should. Uh, especially if your employer is matching you. Now, sometimes the employers will only match a certain percent of your contributions, and uh, that's fine. But make sure at least you put that much in the retirement plan. That's 100% on your money immediately. That's crazy not to do at least the match that the company will give you. But given the fact that you know most people don't have pensions anymore, if you possibly can max out the 401k over the course of your working life, that is your retirement. It's very important to understand that. What's other? What's another tax advantage investment? How about municipal bonds? The interest on municipal bonds are tax-free. And if you uh, buy a bond that's issued from your state, it's state tax-free too, not only federal tax-free. Now, does that make sense to do? Most people say, well, I'd love to get interest that is tax-free. 
But you have to keep in mind that municipal bonds pay less than taxable bonds. So therefore, you uh, you have to look at your your tax bracket. Does it make sense? Am I better off paying, getting a, a higher yield than a taxable investment and paying the tax, or am I better off getting a tax free yield in a municipal bond? And again, that's a tax professional will figure that out for you. So taxes are always changing. You got to prepare for it. It makes a huge difference in your life. And there's some other tax deferred things like annuities. Annuities are tax deferred. Unless it's an IRA account, you don't get a tax deduction to put the money in it. But I'm not a fan of annuities. People listen to this program know that. But it is another tax deferred vehicle. So use taxes to your advantage. Uh, The tax code is complex. It's changing all the time. The best thing you could do is find a good tax professional, a good accountant, good certified financial planner, and make sure that you're not paying any more taxes than you have to. All right, let's talk about taxes on inherited retirement accounts. Over the next uh, 10, 15 years, uh, over a trillion dollars of retirement plans are going to uh, flow down to beneficiaries as the owners of these accounts pass on. And again, many of the baby boomers now are at advanced age and, uh, uh, and they're passing off. And I know that in my practice, um, just this week, uh, my firm's turning 36 years old. And in those 36 years, I've had clients that have been with me for decades and, and many of them are elderly now and many of them are passing away. And, you know, we deal a lot with this end of life stuff, this estate planning stuff. And if you're going to be an IRA beneficiary, good for you. Must be nice to inherit a lot of money. But you better be aware of several important tax considerations, especially considering uh, recent rules and changes uh, have come about due to something called the Secure Act 2.0. So if you haven't inherited, if you, if you have inherited an IRA or have inherited another retirement account, it's important to know the rules now. Because these changes impact 401ks, 403bs, IRAs, Roth accounts. And there's big, big changes from a tax perspective. Um, It used to be that you used to be able to have what they call a stretch IRA. If you inherited an IRA prior to 2020, you would be able to take out required minimum distributions based on your life expectancy. So if you're, you know, you inherited in your 50s, it's very, very small, the required minimum distributions, you know, roughly 2% in year one, and it goes up every year. But you don't have to empty the account or, uh, except over the course of your lifetime. Now, you, you could take it out. That's up to you. But you're going to pay tax on any money that comes out of an inherited IRA. And if you're still working or you're in a high tax bracket, you don't need the money, well, you would just take out the required minimum distribution. But due to the SECURE Act of 2019, most beneficiaries can no longer stretch the distributions over their lifetimes. Instead, non-spouse beneficiaries who inherited an IRA after January 1st, 2020, must empty the account within 10 years of the account owner's death. Now, why is that such a big difference? Because now, say you inherited a large IRA account from your mother or father. Let's say it's a million dollars. It could be half a million dollars, whatever it is. And you have to take that money out and pay tax on it. What if it's during your working years and you're in a high tax bracket? You make decent money. 
Now the IRS is going to get their taxes. Now you could wait to the last day of the 10th year and take it all out, but do you want to take out a million plus 10 years worth of growth in one year? So you're going to have to work really close with your accountant to figure out a great strategy or the best strategy, the most tax efficient strategy to get that money out of that IRA in 10 years. Now, maybe you're only going to work five more years and then you're going to be retired. And you're going to be lower income tax bracket. Well, maybe you start taking it those five years. You take 20% out a year. But this is a tax grab. This is a terrible thing. And this is true of Roth IRAs too. Even though there's no tax on it, the IRS doesn't want you to hold that tax-free account more than 10 years. Again, you don't have a tax liability to take it out, but you lose the tax-free growth of the account. And if I'm a... I'm 50-something years old and my parent passes away and I inherit a half a million dollar Roth account. Well, that's great because I could have a growth till I retire. Maybe that's 15 years. Maybe it's 20 years. Maybe when I retire, I don't want to touch it. But now the IRS is making you take it out within the 10-year rule. Tax-free, but still you no longer have it. So these are two of the big, big issues um, that are affecting um, uh, inherited IRAs. Now, if you're a spouse, you just inherit it. It becomes your IRA. You don't have to do anything until you're at your required minimum distribution age, uh, 73. It's going to be 75 eventually. Uh, Then you have to start taking minimum distributions based on your life expectancy. So if you're a spouse, totally different rules. But if you're a non-spouse, you're a child or a grandchild and you inherit an IRA, that's got to be out in 10 years. Now, there's another complex thing to this. If the person you inherited the IRA from was already taking required minimum distributions because they, they passed the age that they were required to start it, you have to take required minimum distributions based on your life expectancy over the 10-year period, and it still has to be empty by the 10th year. So every year you have to take out what would probably be relatively small amounts depending on the size on the IRA account. So that makes it even more complicated. Uh, if the person did not start taking requirement minimum distributions before they died, they were under 73 or whatever the, the age was at that time, then uh, you don't have to take required minimum distributions. You just have to make sure that you empty the account in 10 years. So nice to inherit uh, money. It's a good thing, uh, but when you inherit an IRA account or a 401k, you got to be aware of the tax scenario that you're going to have to deal with. It's so important, and that's why you really need uh, to uh, to talk to an accountant, a very good one, or a certified financial planner that can look at your situation and come up with a strategy on the best way to empty that. Now, again, you can take it all out year one if you want. Nobody's you know, stopping you from doing it. And if you're under 59 and a half, you know, usually in your own IRA, you're going to get hit with a 10% penalty if you take it out prior to 59 and a half. If you inherit an IRA, you could take the money out at any age without the 10% penalty. It's just going to be taxable income to you. So, again, if you're lucky enough to uh, inherit uh, a nice IRA account, make sure you get the proper advice on how to take it out. So I'm recording this program uh, Saturday morning. 
Uh, and it looks more and more likely that we're going to have a government shutdown starting on Monday, October 1st, as uh, Congress can't come to an agreement on a budget. You know, they keep trying to push these continuing resolutions every single year instead of just doing their job and, and doing a budget. And there's all kinds of problems. Uh, some of the Republicans don't want to fund Ukraine. Uh, I agree with that. Uh, we'll talk about a black hole, a money pit, uh, and, and prolonging the war by giving them more equipment and money. Uh, Ukrainians aren't going to win, so it doesn't really matter uh, just how much uh, money we're going we're gonna to blow in this endeavor. And hopefully it doesn't break down to World War Three or worse. But it looks like there's going to be a government shutdown. It's pretty likely right now. And uh, what does it mean? We've gone through this so many times before. It, it doesn't mean that much. Certain things are going to be shut down and other things won't. And uh, a lot of people, well, the media tries to make an hysteria out of it. But defense will still be operating. Social Security, you'll still get your checks. Medicare will still be, be running. Uh, what will shut down? Uh, national parks, the Smithsonian, what have you. But you'll still be able to ride Amtrak. And uh, the most important things in government will continue to go on. One good thing is that the government won't be releasing any economic statistics during the shutdown, which is all fudged anyway. Federal Reserve will still be running. The IRS will still be running. So uh, it's kind of a, not a big deal. But the media is just going to, you know, trance the Republicans, trounce the Republicans over this. It's all their fault, all their fault, because they won't give the Democrats everything they want. Or because the Republicans want to uh, restrict aid to Ukraine. Or because the Republican want money for a border wall or immigration control. Democrats don't want any of that. So uh, we'll see how this happens. It's it's ridiculous. We, we go through this every few years. Uh, usually it's a last-minute deal, but it doesn't look like it's going to happen this time. So how long will this go on? Who knows? But the quicker they settle it, the better, especially for the Republicans, because they're the ones who are going to take the political heat for this, as they, as they usually do. Now, financial markets... Um, aren't too concerned about it, but we are seeing a significant correction in the stock market. Uh, the market had a great, what, eight, eight months of the year, um, and uh, now we're seeing a little bit of a pullback, which is probably healthy. The question is, does it evolve into something more serious? Um, and I think it is. Um, for the week, uh, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was down 1.34%. How's it doing for the year? Well, it's only up 1.09%, which is kind of interesting because when you look at the other indexes, they're still up quite a bit. The S&P 500 was down three quarters of a percent this um, week. Still up, though, 11.68% for the year. NASDAQ uh, was flat for the week and still up uh, incredibly robust 26.3% for the year, but it was up 34, 35%. So we're seeing a significant correction in financial markets as we enter October, which is usually, uh, that's where all the crashes seem to happen, right? In October. And there's a, I don't know, I have just a very eerie feeling about this market, about the economy. Uh, I just think we're entering a very ugly phase. 
We'll see what happens. We'll report it to you here on The Financial Physician. Let's look at interest rates. Um, I always watch the 10-year Treasury bond hit a new high this week, at least for 20 years anyway, um, up to 4.58%. And just remember, it was only a year and a half ago, I think, that um, the 10-year bond was yielding 0.5, a half of 1%, and today it's yielding almost 4.6%. Quite a significant and dramatic move in interest rates as the Fed over the last year has dramatically raised interest rates um, to fight inflation. Let's look at the the 30-year mortgage rates, um, which are tied to the 10-year treasury. You know, just watch 10-year treasury rates. I'll tell you, every mortgage broker, every real estate agent wants to know what's going on with the 10-year treasury yield because it does affect mortgages very, very closely. This week, we had a new high in mortgages, at least on this cycle. Uh, the 30-year fixed rate mortgage, 744 percent. Quite a bit different than 3%. That was only a couple of years ago, right? And uh, it's dramatically affecting the affordability of housing, uh, which we talked about on Wednesday's show. Uh, Let's look at the price of oil, uh, $90.77 a barrel. Went as high as almost 95 this week. So we're on our way to $100 a barrel, if not higher. Uh, gasoline prices right now uh, around the United States averaging about $4 a gallon or those certain areas of California they're paying almost $7 a gallon. Could you imagine that? Uh, Bitcoin kind of find a home in the mid-20s, 26942 So that's financial markets. Uh, we're going to watch uh, how they react to what looks like uh, a government shutdown that's coming. And uh, markets don't like uncertainty. Markets don't like any of this kind of stuff. So we'll see how the markets perform this week. We'll talk about it Wednesday uh, on our midweek podcast. Let's take a short break. My name is Lou Skatigna. Don't go away. Are you currently retired or planning to retire in the next five years? Hey, Lou Skatigna here, certified financial planner, personal finance author, president of AFM Investments. Why not join me for a comprehensive financial review at my downtown Tom's River office? Banks are paying virtually nothing, and the stock market has become a risky casino. But there are ways to achieve reasonable returns without taking on big risks. Let me show you how. During our meeting, I will determine your net worth, find ways to maximize your income, and minimize your taxes. I'll review your estate plan and discuss strategies to protect your estate from nursing home costs. Managing your finances is more complicated than ever, but you don't have to go it alone. So make your no-obligation appointment today by calling 732-905-8100. That's 732-905-8100. Securities transactions through Lee Baldwin & Company, member FINRA and SIPC. Registered advisory services through Argentus Advisors. Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer, a family-owned and operated premier septic installation and repair company with more than a decade of experience in the septic services. Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer provides full-service maintenance and cleaning services, pumping septic tanks, repairing broken sewer lines, cleaning of grease tanks for restaurants, as well as real estate septic inspections, repairs, and installations. Phone 732-600-8721 or go to jerseyshoreseptic.com to learn more. Jersey Shore Septic and Sewer, top quality work at the most affordable rate. Want to get in touch with me? It's very easy. Just uh, email me at lou at thefinancialphysician.com. Lou at thefinancialphysician.com. You want me to cover a topic on the show or you want to comment on a topic or you got a personal finance issue that I could help you with, 
feel free to contact me at Lou at the financial physician.com. And please uh, share the um, podcast with your friends and family. That's the only way now that this podcast grows uh, is by people who listen to it, uh, sharing it with, with others. And I thank you for that. Thanks so much for that. Uh, put it on your social media, put it on forums that you go to share this program because we talk about things on this program that nobody else talks about. All right. We've been hearing about the transition uh, to central bank digital currencies. And it's amazing how many Americans don't really understand what this is and what the ramifications of it is. And it's getting close. I mean, I think we have over 100 countries around the world that are moving towards this. So this is a global phenomenon. And when we talk about a cashless society, um, people just think it's, well, it's convenient. You know, I'd, why carry around a bunch of money when I could just swipe uh, an ATM card? And that's true, but the thing about an ATM card is your transactions are only known by you and your bank. With a central bank digital currency, the government's going to know every one of your transactions. They're going to know exactly what you buy every day, who you donate to, political parties, political candidates, uh, things that you do in your lifestyle, which can go towards a social credit score. And it's just another way to control you and perhaps institute negative interest rates. So what's that mean? Well, if all your money's stuck in the system in digital form and they make interest rates minus 5% because the country is in a, an emergency or we're in war, then all of a sudden money starts coming out of your account each month in a form of quote unquote negative interest rates. It's confiscation. It's taxation, however you want to look at it. Now, they say, well, you know, in a cashless society, um, you know, it'll stop criminal activity on the black market. And that's true to some extent. You know, cash is the money of crime, obviously. But people have to understand, you know, what you're giving up to go that way. Now, also, the argument is that cash is costlier to produce than a digital money. Uh, you don't have to hire Brinks trucks to go around the country and move the money around. In digital money, it moves instantaneously. So they say, convenience. You make a transaction right now, and it automatically is in somebody else's account, done instantly. But we have Venmo now that actually does that. So it's something similar, but it's using digital currencies instead of your own bank account. So the digital currency, they'll see everything you buy. They'll see all your charitable contributions, your political donations, your entertainment choices, how much you drink at the bar, how much you buy alcohol at the liquor store, how much cigarettes you smoke. You see where this can go? Whenever you buy a gun or ammunition, this is big brother. It really is. And when all this information is combined with... Uh, GPS data on your iPhone, uh, your EasyPass uh, information, uh, license plate scanners, uh, and then they use artificial intelligence applications. It's easy to develop a profile on you, a political profile on you, a social profile on you. Just like they do in, in China now, you have a social credit score. You can't buy certain things. You can't get certain jobs. Your freedom's restricted if you're a social credit score or political credit score is not good. 
Now, the political party in power or the government in general can decide you're an enemy of the people or a MAGA extremist. Remember Biden's speech in Philadelphia in 2022, a year ago? It was all red lights. It looked like uh, Nazi stuff with the, the, the military next to him. He made that statement, MAGA extremists. So you're, you're a domestic terrorist now, right? We see you made a donation to Donald Trump, the MAGA party. That makes you an enemy of the state. And once you're on the enemies list, CBDCs can be used to freeze your bank accounts. It happened to the Freedom Convoy truckers. You remember that in Canada last year? That were protesting the vaccine mandates and all that. They had their bank accounts turned off. Anybody associated with them had no access to their money. And it could easily happen here. Now, some people are pushing back, like Governor DeSantis and some members of Congress. Uh, good luck with that. Because if the powers that be want this, it'll happen. And the authoritarians never take no for an answer. And we're already there here in the United States. Did you hear about this? Citibank, which basically totally controlled by the U.S. government. You know, we've bailed them out so many times that they owe us, I guess. Uh, has announced uh, what they call city token services. With city token services, you can convert your regular dollars into digital tokens. You don't have dollars anymore. City controls the ledger under the government's thumb. And they have complete information on all transactions. I mean, it's CBDCs, Central Bank's Digital Currencies by another name. So it's not coming, it's already here. How do you protect yourself against this? Against negative interest rates? Well, have as little in the banking system as you can. Own things. Real estate, gold, silver, collectibles, anything that can keep your money out of the system. They can't slam negative interest rates on your house. Well, maybe they can. Maybe they can figure out a way to do that. Uh, but they can't force negative interest rates on your silver coins and your gold coins. Now, if you ever want to get out of those gold or silver coins, you're going to have to convert them to digital currencies because there's no cash. Uh, so it's, it's pretty insidious. It's, it's really part of the big picture, the big reset, the globalist authoritarian one world order system. And it's coming. And I told you that, uh, something's really wrong. Everybody's got the feeling. People tell me all the time, Lou, something don't feel right. As a matter of fact, listen to this headline. It begins Australia's fifth largest bank announces digital only transactions. We'll phase out cash checks and phone payments in all 80 branches starting next year. Australia's fifth largest bank, Macquarie Bank, has announced its transition to digital-only transactions. Starting from January 2024, the bank will begin phasing out all cash, checks, and phone payment services in its 80 branches. By November 2024, all in-branch cash transactions will be completely discontinued. And this is the timeline that they have for this transition uh, to uh, a digital world. Uh, January 2024, phasing out all new checkbooks for new cash management accounts. March 2024, automated telephone banking services will be shut down, making phone payments impossible. May 2024, depositing or withdrawing cash or checks 
over-the-counter and marquee branches will no longer be possible. Ordering checkbooks for existing accounts will also be discontinued. And by November 2024, writing or depositing checks, including bank checks, will be completely phased out. So basically, you can't walk in that bank with money and deposit it in your account. You can't walk in that bank with a check and deposit it in your account. You can't write a check to anybody from that bank account. You can't go in that bank and say, give me $100 cash of my savings account, from my savings account. Now, this is not a small bank. This bank has a market capitalization of $69 billion and over 1 million retail customers. So this is just the beginning. Bank after bank is going to do this. Now, there's a problem here. Uh, a senior group in Australia is saying, wait a second. What about seniors who don't know how to use computers or smartphones? What are these people going to be doing? Now, earlier this year, two other banks, Commonwealth Bank and ANZ, decided to stop handling cash in a few branches. Uh, but this move by, move by Markery Bank is, is going to totally phase out cash. It's pretty unprecedented. It's going to happen here, too. It's all part of the new world order. I mean, we all feel that um, we're being surveilled in everything we do these days. Anywhere you go, you're being filmed on camera. You walk into a store, you're in a parking lot, you're on a highway. Your Easy Pass records where you are at all times, your GPS, your phone. And now they're going to know everything you do with your money. This is very dangerous, my friends. You have to understand how this can easily be turned against you in so many different ways. And I, I think that um, once they achieve this, and they're going to do it. I don't see anyone stopping them. This is part of the plan. And once it's achieved, it's going to be easy for the state to seize and freeze your wealth. Or subject it to constant surveillance, taxation, uh, or negative interest rates. And if they put negative interest rates in bank accounts now, you'll just take your cash out. Why would I pay the bank to hold my money when I could just take it and put it in a shoebox under my bed? But once they get you digitally and cash is no longer legal, now they could they could uh, institute negative interest rates on you. Now, if you stuff it in your mattress, you don't earn anything, but I'd rather earn nothing than uh, have a negative 5% interest rate. At least you're not losing anything on it. But once all the money's digital... You won't have that option of withdrawing your cash to avoid negative interest rates. Now, I know it sounds kind of wacky, like, Lou, this is a little bit off the wall. No, it's not. It's so much easier for them to control your money if they put it in the digital system. And that's their true objective. It's not, it's not convenience. That's just a smokescreen. Now, good news is that uh, cash is still dominant the dominant form of payment in many countries, including the U.S. But we're getting close to the tipping point where country after country now is going to be instituting um, digital currencies. And one of the individuals spearheading this is a man by the name of Klaus Schwab. Uh, have you heard that name before? Well, if you have, it's probably just recently. I didn't hear this name until about a year ago. 
And this guy's a German economist and the founder and head of the World Economic Forum. This is a very powerful organization that leaders all around the world belong to. And it's been run for him by him for oh, 30 years or something like that. And he recently was doing a speech at the Association of Southeast Asian Nations. And what he said is he was urging governments to grant the World Economic Forum, quote, full governmental control over their nations as part of the Great Reset Agenda for Humanity. That's right. He wants to be in charge. He's going to have to fight it all out with the United Nations. According to Schwab, governments must embrace the World Economic Forum's agenda if they want to survive in a dystopian future unfolding before our eyes. And he wants the world to be under the power and control of the World Economic Forum. It's all part of this one world government thing. Speaking at the summit, Schwab ordered ordered government leaders to cooperate with the WEF or face losing power and influence in a new globalist landscape. He continued by claiming that with the fusion of the WEF and state, we would see a shift from the era of capitalism to the era of talentism, whatever that is. Uh, this is real stuff that's happening. I mean, these people are saying it. Just so you can hear this guy's voice. Um, to know he's real. Uh, here's a clip from um, from that summit uh, where he's talking about uh, basically merging the countries of the world with the uh, World Economic Forum and giving them and multinational corporations all the power. Look at the public-private corporation. I think we have to find very flexible ways to coordinate the efforts. I mean, governments still provide direction, but business provides the innovative power. And I would argue that long-term, with all the importance of capital, we move from the era of capitalism to the era of talentism. But even more important, we move from stakeholder, from shareholder capitalism to stakeholder capitalism. And I am very proud to see how the business community has embraced this concept, which is now very much um, under uh, contested in certain other. So he states uh, he wants to move from shareholder capitalism to stakeholder capitalism. So what does he mean by that? Well, shareholders are you and me, the basic citizens of a country. He wants to take away any power that we have and give it to the stakeholders. Who are the stakeholders? Multinational corporations like Big Pharma, like the mainstream media, uh, like the military industrial complex. He wants corporations to have all the power. And he wants the World Economic Forum to dictate to sovereign countries uh, what their policy should be. Very dangerous man. Keep an eye on him and remember that name. Klaus Schwab. And what is it about a, a German speaking English uh, that their accent kind of makes you, uh, I don't know, feel a little, uh, I don't know, what's the word I'm looking for? Uneasy. Uh, and I'm not trying to, <laughs> I don't want to um, disparage uh, any of our German friends, <laughs> but I guess it goes back to World War II. 
uh, and the German accents and the movies we watched where they're speaking English with, with a German um, accent on it. Seems sinister, right? Klaus Schwab is also famously re- remembered as uh, the guy who states that you will own nothing and be happy. I found that statement when I first heard it to be a little odd. How could you be happy when you own nothing? Uh, And I guess what he means is that uh, the world government will provide you with the minimum amount you need to live on. And uh, you'll no longer own anything or be able to achieve anything in your life. Uh, You'll just be uh, just one of the lemmings. I came across this uh, little, I guess, ditty or meme, whatever you want to call it on the Internet, uh, making fun of Klaus Schwab and his statement of you'll own nothing and be happy. I came across this uh, little, I guess, ditty or meme, whatever you want to call it on the Internet, uh, making fun of Klaus Schwab and his statement of you'll own nothing and be happy. Here's a little song I wrote You might want to hear it in your pot You'll own nothing And be happy Ain't got no cash, ain't got no car But 24 booster shots in your arm Own nothing You can't even buy shit in the store Because of your low social credit score Oh, nothing Be happy You'll own nothing And be happy Be happy and eat the bugs Yeah, don't worry, be happy. And 24 booster shots in your arm. Talk about that later. Guess I shouldn't really make fun of this because it's serious stuff. (laughs) I mean, how do you own nothing? That means what? The world government confiscates everything you own? Well, if that's the case, we have an interesting future ahead of us. The surveillance state continues to expand. Um... Digital currencies, it'll see everything uh, that you buy and sell. Uh, And now the SEC is tracking your stock trades by social security number. And get this, it shares the data with 3,000 outside agencies. What could go wrong here? Quote, a consolidated order trail that accurately tracks orders throughout their life cycle and identifies the broker-dealers handling them will provide us with an unprecedented ability to effectively oversee the markets we regulate, said SEC Chairman Mary Shapiro. And this is ridiculous. I don't want every one of my stock trades to be surveilled. So the SEC now is a, is a spy agency. Um. And, of course, they always try to find a reason for it. They said this is a response to the, to the flash crash that happened in 2010. You know, they always find an excuse. 9-11, the Patriot Act, right? There's always something that they could use to try to force uh, new control over you. So um, 
the SEC now uh, decided to collect Americans' investors' personal identifiable information, such as account and social security numbers, and share it. Who are they sharing it with? Oh, stock exchanges, options exchanges, and about 3,000 outside contractors, as well as the SEC itself. What could go wrong there? Um, Senator John Kennedy and Rep. Barry Loudermilk recently introduced legislation to stop the unconstitutional collection of U.S. investors' personal information. So hopefully um, they'll be able to stop it. Uh, The Wall uh, Wall Street Journal came out and said, as an American, you have a right to privacy unless you own stock. The Securities and Exchange Commission has created a centralized database to track the personal and financial information of every U.S. investor. Congress should immediately stop this unconstitutional power grab. It doesn't end with this government. I'm telling you, it doesn't end. Total control, total surveillance. We are becoming China every single day. And what about hackers? You know, all this information is flowing around. 3,000 contractors have it. This is a hacker's paradise. And uh, you don't even have to be hacked. All it takes is one nefarious outside contractor to misuse this information. They got to stop this. They want to know everything about you. Every single thing. And now with artificial intelligence, they can gather it all, do all kinds of calculations and interpretations, and put a social credit score on you. And a political credit score on you. And that should scare anybody listening to me. I highly recommend you uh, pick up a copy of the book, 1984, by George Orwell. Uh, We are living in it now. And I think it's going to be worse than he uh, he wrote in his book in 1946. Now, this stuff didn't happen in 1984, in the title of the book, but more like 2024. I think we'll be in the thick of it by then. So in 1984, George Orwell portrays English society, which he renames Oceana, as basically a futuristic version of the the 1940s Soviet Union. And he calls it Ingsoc, English socialism. And in the book, the population has less freedom than, than people living under the Soviet Union's had. And uh, Big Brother was the entity or the group or whatever that controlled everything, saw everything. And uh, are we going down that path? I don't know. In the U.S. today, it's not difficult to see how government intrusion, government control reduces our freedoms, uh, reduces our economic opportunities, our prosperity. How about distorting history and science? That's what's happening now. And one of the way big brother exerted total control over the people was by subverting language. Uh, The state called it Newspeak. 
And this was uh, only words that you could use that were permitted thoughts by the state. Thought crime. You know, we're hearing that now, right? It was a thought crime. That was in his book. That's an Orwellianism. And if you had a thought crime, you were punished for having illicit thoughts. So if Big Brother told you two plus two equals five, uh, you better believe it. And if you said it doesn't, you were in trouble. And, you know, sadly in the United States here, um, both political parties, I think, have contributed to the surveillance state, the controlling state, the things I just laid out for you before about digital currencies and everything like that. Let's go back. The Patriot Act. Remember that? That was in response to 9-11, right? Well, what did that do? It permitted increased government surveillance of every financial transaction. Remember Joe Biden tried to uh, institute the Disinformation Governance Board? Do you remember with that crazy woman? I mean, talk about Orwellian. His administration also uh, pressured social media companies to restrict access to posts that, that it deemed untruthful or not part of the narrative. And how about the, the recent COVID pandemic? Levels of government, all the way from the feds all the way down to local government, mandated mask wearing and injections of experimental drugs demanded that businesses close and then wound up making everybody um, dependent on the government through stimulus checks. And, you know, the left, you know, they could have these gigantic gatherings and protests. They were encouraged during COVID. But conservative gatherings were prohibited, you know, for the reasons of public safety, of course. Can't go to church, but you could do a BLM protest. And then um, with the virus itself, with the ivermectin, the hydroxychloroquine, doctors being shut down, losing their licenses for recommending what was a very effective drug therapy that, that worked very, very well. Many, many people's lives could have been saved. But no, they wanted the almighty vaccine. That's what it was. They don't want anybody getting better real quick by just taking a pill that's been out for years and and, and the drug companies can't make any money off of. So science was transformed into whatever the state religion was at the time. And even uh, the federal budget In 2022, we placed the word mothers with birthing people. The National Institute of Health suggests pregnant people instead. Then we have teachers, politicians, scientists tell us that people that are born as men may become women if they choose to do so or vice versa. It may switch back at will. Gender fluid. It's insane. What's going on now? How about college campuses? Right? They have speech codes now. You remember Stanford University even considered banning the use of standard words? They dropped it after, you know, people said, this is so stupid. And um, now government agencies, the military, publicly traded companies, Disney, 
conduct they they have now diversity training in order to indoctrinate employees into a particular way of thinking. And God forbid you have an opposing view. That's impermissible. You can't do that. Well, you'll be ridiculed or worse, fired. Critical race theory, remember that one? And, you know, during the pandemic, Antifa rioters, right, and BLM, right, they were lawful demonstrators, remember, uh, peacefully post protesting as the city's burning down behind the reporter. The Big Brother's uh, main method of control uh, is consistent. Control the language, control the truth, control history, control employment. And that's how you control the populace. And that's what's happening now. And, you know, with the World Economic Forum, the World Health Organization, trying to mandate how we deal with health crises. Um, that's where we are right now. And it's amazing how many Americans don't even realize it because it happens so gradually, kind of like the frog in the pot, right, where it gradually gets hotter and hotter and they wind up boiling. Uh that's not true, by the way. <laughs> a lot of people talk about the frog in the pot, and, you know, if it gradually warms up, it won't jump out. That's not true. It would. I guess I should do an experiment and try it. I'll let you know next week. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think my wife will allow me to uh, cook a live frog uh, in her house. Anyway, 1984, though. Pick up a book and, uh, and read it. Uh, it. It'll blow your mind. All right, on the other side of the break, we're going to dive into the Biden impeachment inquiry uh, that started this past Thursday. We've got a lot of sound clips for you there and plenty more. Don't go away. AFM Investments' Lou Skatigna has been serving Ocean County for over 35 years. AFM Investments brings a level of expertise, knowledge, and experience to the Jersey Shore that you would typically have to pursue with a premier investment firm on Wall Street. Whether you need income tax preparation or financial planning, he has the experience to help you with whatever your needs are. For more information, log on to AFMinvestments.net. Securities transactions through Lee Baldwin & Company. Member FINRA and SIPC. Registered advisory services through our Do you have a home to sell? Do you need to buy a home? Or maybe you would like to consider a career in real estate? Well, you need to contact my brother, Mark Skatigna. He's the broker manager of Coldwell Banker Flanagan Realty on Route 70 in Manchester. Mark has helped so many of my clients with either the sale of their home or to purchase a new home. All of them could not have been happier with his help. What about an exciting new career in real estate? Maybe you're finding you have more time on your hands than you would like to after retiring from your full-time job and are also looking to make some extra income. With flexible hours to still enjoy your free time and income that could be limitless, Mark train you to be as successful as you would like to be and enjoy a rewarding career in real estate. For help with any of your real estate needs, as well as any information on a career in real estate, call my brother Mark Skatigna at Coldwell Banker Flanagan Realty. His number is 732-657-6200. That's 732-657-6200. Mark Skatigna, Coldwell Banker Flanagan Realty. Give him a call. You'll be happy you did. Just a reminder, we do two podcasts a week. We do our main podcast. It's up Sunday morning. 
usually by 7 a.m., but certainly by 9 a.m. It's our, our main two-hour podcast. And then we do a midweek podcast that's uploaded on Wednesday, right around 4 p.m., and it's about, about an hour long. And we talk about different topics on the, the two different podcasts. So you don't want to miss a podcast. Just go to thefinancialphysician.com. We have the link there. Or better yet, when you're at Podomatic, just follow the program. And whenever I upload a program, you get an email instantaneously and a link right to the show. So no excuses to miss any The Financial Physician podcast. And please share it with friends and families. That's the way uh, our numbers go up. And thankfully, many of you are telling your friends about the program, putting it on your social media. I very much appreciate it. You want to get in touch with me, just send me an email at lou at thefinancialphysician.com. Lou at thefinancialphysician.com. I promise to respond to each uh, and every email. If I don't, just send it again. That's lou at thefinancialphysician.com. Americans are worried about uh, a looming credit crunch, and it's starting to happen already. What's a credit crunch? It's when it's hard to get credit. And this usually happens uh, in a recession or when people are losing their jobs and uh, people are defaulting on mortgages and credit cards and car loans, which is starting to happen now. And that's a big problem for an economy that runs on credit cards and credit. Now, you're going to hear, you know, one of the reasons why you hear people on TV banding about economic optimism, uh, the consumer is strong, consumer spending is holding up, despite price inflation. But nobody asks the important question, how are Americans able to do this? How are they able to continue spending with inflation? without getting wage increases to compensate for that? Well, the answer is credit cards. Credit card balances have risen dramatically over the last couple of years, over a trillion dollars. And at the same time, interest rates are at all-time highs, at least 20% on average. So what's going to happen when consumers finally max out their credit cards? And it's starting to happen now. I think we're getting very close to that point. And many people are worried that they're not going to be able to borrow money to keep spending. Now, I'm not talking about wasteful spending. I'm talking about, you know, filling up your grocery cart, filling up your car. And as prices skyrocketed last year, Americans blew through their savings to make ends meet. Savings peaked at $2.1 trillion in August 2021 after all the stimulus money came in. As of June, aggregate savings have dropped to $190 billion. Think about that. $2.1 trillion in August 2021. In less than two years, that dropped to $190 billion. That's almost $2 trillion in savings that have been wiped out. How does Americans eat away $1.9 trillion in savings in just two years? Inflation, right? Then they turned to credit cards. And, you know, when people got their stimulus checks during COVID, many used that money to pay down credit card debt. Americans owed a a little over a trillion dollars in credit card debt when the pandemic began. Uh, It dropped 11.2% in 2020. Uh, But now it's rising again. Started in May 2021. And it's been a steady, steady rise in credit card balances. Uh, 
At the end of July, at the end of July, Americans owed one point two seven trillion dollars on credit cards. And as I said, you know, there's a double whammy here. Not only is debt going up, but the interest rates going up on that debt as well. And more and more Americans are now struggling to pay their credit card balances. Many are just paying the minimum, just not to go into default. But if you have a ten thousand, the average in America is at least ten thousand dollars in the credit card debt per family. At twenty percent, that's two thousand a year interest alone, almost two hundred a month. And many Americans are just paying the minimum. So the balance never goes away. You know, when you get your credit card bill, it tells you if you pay the minimum on this, how many gazillion years it's going to take to pay it off. And uh, there's another big problem on the horizon. It's getting harder and harder for Americans to borrow money. Maybe that's a good thing. But that has a lot of people worried. Nearly 60% of the respondents in the New York Fed Consumer Expectation Survey said it's harder to get credit cards, mortgages, and other loans than it was a year ago. Sure it is. Um, Banks have also uh, significantly tightened standards for business loans. This is a recipe for disaster. Our economy runs on credit, whether it's consumer credit, whether it's corporate credit. And when they start tightening credit, it's terrible for the economy. It's a recipe for disaster. It's a recipe for disaster for families. And it's an overall recipe for disaster for the economy. It's going to put us in recession. And uh, with more and more Americans maxing out their credit cards, uh, they're having trouble paying their bills. And if they can't go to the credit card, how are they going to live? And we're seeing uh, systemic destruction of the middle class in America. And uh, I think it's going to get worse. And, you know, the underlying assumption is that Americans wouldn't keep spending if they were really in trouble. But I think a lot of people are spending on credit cards precisely because they are in trouble. They don't have a choice. And it's not like people are using their credit cards to buy big screen TVs. Consumers are using their credit cards for a lot of everyday purchases. And grocery shopping is the lead purchase type that consumers say they are making. And any of us, uh, we all eat. We all, go to, we all go to the grocery store. And we see how much it costs for a half a cart of groceries. It's really, really tough. And many Americans are using credit cards for uh, grocery bills, which is horrible. You shouldn't be spending... You shouldn't be using credit cards to uh, on everyday expenses. You know, something comes up, your car breaks down, you need some tires, you know, then you rip out the credit card because it's not part of your budget. Uh, but when people start using credit cards for everyday living, that's, that's a horrible thing. All right, let's shift gears now. We're going to talk about uh, the impeachment inquiry of Joe Biden that got underway this week, and uh, I couldn't even watch it. It's really hard to watch these congressional hearings because it's just so partisan. I mean, the Democrats don't care about anything that Biden did. They don't care about the evidence, whatever. They're just going to walk out of the committee and just say, there's no evidence. That's all they say. And the, their uh, compatriots in the media say the same exact thing. Meanwhile, the Republicans are laying out all the evidence, transactions, SARS reports, bank records, 
testimony from whistleblowers, business partners of Hunter Biden. Uh, the Democrats don't care. And all they did is turn it into uh, a Trump hearing. Everything was about Trump. Uh, and it's it's just sad to watch that even, even the Democrats, I mean, uh, they don't care what evidence you give them of treason, corruption. It doesn't matter because that's their guy. If it was Trump or a Republican, you know how they'd be, how they were during the two Trump impeachments. No evidence of everything, but he is a Russian agent, a Putin puppet, all turned out to be not true. And meanwhile, we've got scores of evidence. I'm going to lay it out to you here. I'm going to, I'm going to let some of the congressmen lay it out to you. Very, very good presentation of it. And the Democrats and the media just keep coming out and saying there's no evidence directly putting Joe Biden in a corrupt situation. Like a check has to be made out to him with bribery in the memo. Uh, otherwise, it doesn't matter what comes out. They're just going to say that there's no evidence. Listen to this uh, representative, uh, Crockett, her name is, a Democrat from Texas. Listen to what she had to say as the hearing began. On because he's got 91 counts pending right now. But I will tell you what the president has been guilty of. He has unfortunately been guilty of loving his child unconditionally. And that is the only evidence that they have brought forward. And honestly, I hope and pray that my parents love me half as much as he loves his child. Until they find some evidence, we need to get back to the people's work, which means keeping this government open so that people don't go hungry in the streets of the United States. And I will yield. How did this woman ever get to become a Congress person? I'd love to see the district she comes from, <laughs> what it's made up of. Uh, but that's the, that's the Democrats. You know, they're just like, he loves his son. That, that's the narrative now. Uh, he loves his son so much that he let him enrich himself to the tune of tens of millions of dollars uh, by selling out the country. So he loves his son very much. Uh, what a bunch of bull crap that is, right? So while the Democrats uh, and the media, oh, by the way, only Fox was showing the hearing. Uh, I think it's the fourth impeachment hearing against the president in, what, 50 years? And the mainstream media doesn't find it to be important to even air it. Although they added 24-7, they aired everything uh, in the Trump impeachment. You see how this works, right? So the Republicans were well-prepared. They've been doing research on this and getting testimony and, and getting records and all, all the evidence that's necessary. And they started to lay it out. And um, Congressman Pat Fallon uh, laid out point by point the evidence of corruption and, and, and possibly treason. But the Democrats don't want to hear First of all, I have never discussed my brother or anyone else anything to do with their business from September of the same year I have never spoken to my son about his overseas business dealings October same year quote I don't discuss business with my son were Joe Biden's words true no they were false so why did he lie repeatedly in an interview back in 2019 with the New Yorker even Hunter admitted that he talked to his dad about business specifically Burisma. Many of Hunter Biden's business associates have testified Joe Biden met with them. Two of the ones closest to Hunter, Rob Walker and Devin Archer, were among them. 
So they not only spoke to him, they took, a lot of the business association, uh, associates took photos with him. They played golf with him. They gave, Joe Biden gave them White House tours. He wrote letters of recommendation for their children and shared fancy dinners as well. So let's also talk about patterns. Yuri Luzkov and Yelena Baderina. They are Russian. They're married. They were married. Russian oligarch billionaires. Michael McFaul, the U.S. ambassador to Russia, ID Luzkov as being corrupt. Yelena Baderina wires $3.5 million to Hunter Biden. Soon thereafter, who does she have dinner with? Then Vice President Joe Biden. Kenez Rashkov, Rakashev, rather, and Karim Mazimov, Kazakhstani nationals. Mazimov used to be the prime minister. He's now in prison. Rakashev wires $142,300 to Hunter Biden. The very next day, Hunter Biden buys a Porsche for $142,300. And then soon after, who do you think Kenez Rakashev has dinner with? Say it with me. Then Vice President Joe Biden. All right, so right there, it's an open and shut case. What else do you need uh, as proof of corruption? A Russian oligarch wires $3.5 million to Hunter Biden, and then there's a meeting set up with Vice President Joe Biden. Uh, that's all you need right there. I mean, if Donald Trump Jr. got a $10,000 check from somebody for doing that, It'd be all over the news. The Democrats would be going crazy. Their their heads would be exploding. The media's head would be exploding. Uh, but, you know, anyway, he goes on. There's more to come. Madam Pazarski and Mikola Zolchevsky, the CEO and CFO of Burisma. U.S. Ambassador to Ukraine, Jeffrey Pyatt, calls Zolchevsky a poster child of corruption. Those two fellas paid Hunter Biden shell companies a total of $3.3 million. And who do you think... Madame Pazarski had dinner with, again, say it with me all at once, then Vice President Joe Biden. So here's a pattern. You have crooked foreigners that deliver pallets of cash to the Bidens, and then they have dinner with Joe. And apparently Joe Biden is one hell of an expensive dinner date. And if that's not selling political access, I don't know what is. My Democratic colleagues report ad nauseum when they talk to the media that there's no direct evidence linking Joe Biden to his son's crimes. Really? This is a FD-1023, which is used by the FBI when confidential informants give them information. This 1023 is only as good as the source. It could be garbage or it could be gold. The FBI describes this source as somebody that is highly reliable and very trustworthy. In fact, they've worked with him for over a decade and paid him well over $100,000. What he has given to them is always checked out. This, ladies and gentlemen, is gold. Consider this in, with weight and gravity. So what does this say? I don't know what the confidential informant's name is, so I'm going to call him Ivan. Ivan is not his real name. But Ivan describes that Am Pazarsky directly admitted to him in a confidential conversation that they hired a not-so-smart Hunter Biden to protect us, quote, through his dad from all kinds of problems. Then Ivan speaks directly to CEO Zolchevsky, and Zolchevsky confides that Hunter Biden will take care of those corruption issues through his dad. Zolchevsky is being investigated by Viktor Shokin, a Ukrainian prosecutor. Joe Biden suddenly begins to call for Shokin's removal. Now, Ivan is also told by Zolchevsky that it, will, it cost him $5 million to pay one Biden and $5 million to pay the other. This is direct evidence of naked corruption and bribery. Zolchevsky also admitted to Ivan that both Bidens pushed him to pay them and to keep Hunter Biden on the board. Please keep in mind, these were confidential conversations. Also interesting that Zolchevsky referred to Biden as the big guy, and I doubt he knows Tony Bublinski. Shokin seized two homes, land, and a Rolls Royce from Zolchevsky. 
When he was fired, the Ukrainian president admitted in a phone call to none other than Joe Biden that he choking didn't do anything wrong, but at your behest, we fired him. And then a billion dollars of aid that was being withheld was given to Ukraine. And lastly, after Shokin was fired, Hunter Biden and the other members of the Burisma board wrote a letter to the new prosecutor demanding that Zolchevsky, the investigation into Zolchevsky ended. And you know what? Shockingly, it did. The message was sent and the Bidens delivered. Mr. Dubinsky, in your experience in financial investigations, you, you, follow, quote unquote, you follow the money. If you were investigating this and looking at $5 million payment from Burisma to Joe Biden, what kinds of information or patterns would you be looking for? Well, I'd, I'd want to know who, what, when, where, and why. What's going on? Why, why is the money moving? What's it for? What's the substance behind it? Um, and, and talk to people. Look at documents and talk to people. That's what we do in investigations. I, I would venture to say everybody in this chamber, if they were the CEO of a company and they saw money moving like that within their own company, they'd want to get to the truth. They'd want to find out why is that money moving? Why is somebody paying that money out? Those are the questions that need to be asked and get to the bottom of. And this is just a fraction of the evidence that's coming out. A fraction. Uh, and I don't think uh, it takes a Harvard law professor <laughs> to understand that this is just brazen, naked corruption. I heard a number that it, uh, the total is up to like $43 million between all the Bidens. If that number is correct, it's insane. Uh, but still, you have uh, people in the media, all the Democrats defending them. There's no evidence here. Listen to Andrea Mitchell from MSNBC. Watch how – she doesn't even try to hide it. You know What a cheerleader for Biden she is trying to say there's no evidence. Uh, it's really actually comical in my opinion. With the Biden crime family, without evidence, because you have accusations. Well, you're, you're lying there. You're, you're being dishonest well, there lying. to say there's no evidence. This is evidence that would be admissible in any kind checked. of a case. When you have texts, when you have emails, when you have testimony, uh, when you have visit history, travel logs, those sorts of things, that that is evidence. Now you can dispute and debate the evidence and whether or not you think think it proves beyond a reasonable doubt. But that's what the oversight committee is doing with the impeachment inquiry. And a good deal of it was from when he was not even in office. It was after he left office from 2017, he was, he was, It was when he was the sitting vice president. Uh, it was from when he was the sitting vice president. When That's not what the House Ways and Means chairman he, presented. He ran That's lying to the, the American people about whether or not his family made money off of China. He lied during a debate and said that. He lied repeatedly, said he didn't even know anything about his son's business dealings. We know that's demonstrably false. These are accusations. It may be uncomfortable. Not it may be uncomfortable for his defenders like you, but it's demonstrably false. I'm not a defender. I'm simply trying to call the facts as we see them, as we know them at this time, sir. This is supposed to be journalism. Uh, Andrea Mitchell. Oh, it's been fact check. Who are the fact checkers? The leftist media? <laughs> I mean, it's been fact checked. No, it hasn't. Anything that's fact check, uh, uh, you could just determine is probably the opposite of what the fact checkers say it is. It's probably truth. Uh, and she's, oh, I'm not, I'm not the, uh, his defender. Sure you are. I mean, what do you think? We're dumb. But everybody in the media is doing the same thing if they're covering this at all. And it, it's just uh, disgraceful how corrupt the media has become. It seems that things are going really uh, south for the Bidens. Uh, now we have the... Uh, uh, impeachment inquiry going on and if ever there's a distraction needed it's 
right now. And the playbook is always the same, get Trump. And right on cue in a stunning decision on Tuesday, a New York State judge, Democratic judge, uh, found with no trial or jury that Donald Trump, his family, and his business, the Trump Organization, was liable for fraud and ordered what experts in New York financial crime say amounts to the dissolution of the company. I mean, this is outrageous. This is amazing what, what, what this guy did. No trial yet. <laughs> no jury, no trial. It just says, okay, you, you, you know, I, I think you're guilty of fraud. And now you can't even control your business. And then you know what he did? He canceled all their business licenses in New York. In a 35-page ruling, Manhattan Supreme Court Justice Arthur Engoren revoked the New York business certificates belonging to the Trump Organization and any other New York-based businesses run by Trump or his family by ordering that an independent third party will be tasked with managing the dissolution of the canceled LLCs. I mean, this is crazy. I mean, this is what they do in third-world countries. They take your assets. Without a trial. It's a staggering judgment, said John Moscow, a former financial crimes prosecutor for the Manhattan, Manhattan District Attorney's Office. It means you are no longer a company, and the judge is appointing someone to take over the assets and distribute them as the court sees fit. It's comparable to once a person dies. A dead person can't sell their property. Only the executor of the estate can do that, or in this case, the receiver. And experts are calling it the corporate death penalty. Do you believe what this is? What this really means? Trump's businesses are in New York, hotels, buildings, and they're saying he can operate it. A third party has to come in and may just sell it all, and who knows where the money goes without a trial? I mean, it just doesn't end with the persecution of Donald Trump. It's amazing. And uh, all the banks and lenders did their own due diligence on the financing. Uh, and what they're saying here basically is that, well, Trump got these loans because he inflated the value of Mar-a-Lago and other properties that he owned. This judge said Mar-a-Lago was only worth, uh, what did he say, $11 million. Uh, no, uh, he said it was only worth $18 million. Mar-a-Lago speculated to be worth a billion dollars, not $18 million. Eric, um, Eric Trump said, if Mar-a-Lago is only worth $18 million, I'll take 10 of them. Now, as you might expect, uh, Trump was enraged, blasting the widespread race, radical attack against me, my family, and my supporters have now devolved to new un-American depths, calling Engeron deranged and James a complete biased and corrupt prosecutor. We are rapidly becoming a communist country and my civil rights have been taken away from me, he said. This is democratic, uh, Democrat political lawfare and a witch hunt at a level never seen before. Of course, Trump pa- uh, plans to appeal the decision. Um, and his lawyer said today's outrageous decision is completely disconnected from the facts and governing law. President Trump and his family will seek all available appellate remedies to rectify this miscarriage of justice. It's unbelievable. What they're doing to this guy. Can you imagine that? A multi-billion dollar company. Judges comes in and says, well, you know, I, I think you're guilty of fraud. And uh, and by the way, one thing to keep in mind is that all these banks 
and lenders did their own due diligence on the financing. All operational loans and business loans were paid back. There were no defaults or banking interest adversely affected. There were no victims of what the state calls fraud. Yet the judge is ruling that the Trump organization must dissolve all business interest in this state and exit within 10 days. Could you believe this is happening in America? To the ex-president of the United States? And meanwhile, uh, oh, Joe Biden didn't commit any crimes. No evidence of it. I'm telling you, you should be scared. I'm telling you, this is everything I've been telling you. uh, It's happening. We are moving to a one-party, state party, Democratic party uh, system. And if you oppose it as an opposing party or as an opposing politician, they're coming after you. The The full weight of the U.S. government. And they will bankrupt you. They have deep pockets. They'll put you into court cases that cost millions of dollars. And even though it doesn't even matter if you win or not. By the time you win, you lose. And that's the one thing about the U.S. justice system that always upset me. Just make it that the loser pays the expenses of the winner. If the government comes against you, and they're wrong, and you win, you should get your, your, your million dollars of legal fees back. But that's not the way it works. And that's why that, that's the weaponization of the justice system. Because whether they're, you know, you, you're going to be not guilty at the end of the day, don't matter. You're, lo- you're lost. You could be bankrupt by the time you're not guilty. Now, my guess is, and I, I haven't consulted with uh, other attorneys or anything like that, uh, but this, this can't stand. I mean, in America, this can't stand. This is just a radical judge doing what radical Democrats do, flout the law and just attack their political opponents. Um, but we'll keep an eye on this. This is really starting to get serious. So on, uh, I guess it was Wednesday night, I think, uh, the Republicans had their second debate, presidential debate. And I don't think many people watched it. Uh, I wouldn't watch it. Why do I want to waste my time? None of these people are going to be the Republican nominee for president. Why is everybody wasting money, wasting time on this? Trump is up by like 40 or 50 points on any of them. All of them are in single digits, and Trump is like 50%, 60%. So, so why are they doing this unless... Well, I guess they're, they they feel that maybe Trump will be taken out, either legally or some other way, and they want to be um, uh, in the shadow to be able to come out. But I didn't watch it. I, I saw snippets of it. It was just a everybody's talking over each other, and it was just a waste of time. But meanwhile, Trump's going around the country, um, filling stadiums. Thousands of people outside, and uh, while the Republican debate was going on, Trump was in, I think, Detroit, Michigan, uh, doing a speech about, you know, the auto workers union and what's going on with with, uh, uh, car manufacturing and uh, being forced to change over to electric vehicles and how that's going to affect the industry. And uh, Trump said that uh, he's not backing down here. He says he's been preparing his entire life for this battle. My entire life for this battle, we did such a great job four years ago. We were unfairly interrupted. Let's be nice about it. 
We were very unfairly interrupted, but in many ways this is better because we've seen what a bad job they have shown us, what a horrible job they do. And we'll be able to do things that nobody would have thought possible. And people won't be complaining even a little bit because between crime and all of the jobs that have been stolen from us and all of the factories that have been closing, all of the bad things that have been happening with Afghanistan and with Ukraine and with everything, people will say, wow, we want these changes to be made. We want these changes to be, be made very, very quickly. Just three years ago, we had a great economy and the strongest borders in our country's history. In his same speech, he was talking about um, Joe Biden and uh, his corruption. And he used a pretty good uh, analogy uh, of working class people who get their hands dirty. Crooked Joe and his payday with the Biden family, they raked in millions and millions of dollars. You see what's going on. The news doesn't really report it. Very little news reports it. But it was the men and women who got Every single day they got up and came back home with grease in their hands and they were the ones that paid the price. They paid a big, big price. The only time Joe Biden has ever gotten his hands dirty is when he's taking cash from foreign countries, which is quite often, actually. It's quite often. Good one, Donald. I like that one. Um, the only time his hands are getting dirty when he's taking cash from foreign countries. Love it. Love it. So we have uh, record amounts of people coming across the border right now. Uh, drug trafficking, human trafficking. One day last week, 10,000 illegals came through in one city in one day. And the Biden administration is doing everything they can to entice these people to come. Free everything, money, cell phones, work permits. This is, this is national suicide what's going on right now. And they, they seem fine with it. And meanwhile, they continue to lie to us that the border is secure. The media doesn't report on it. Nobody goes down there. And I want you to hear this impassioned speech uh, by a congresswoman from Alabama. Oh, no, no, no. She's actually the senator from Alabama. Her name is Katie Britt. It's amazing how many senators, like, you never heard their name before. You know, you hear the prominent ones, you know. But uh, same is true in, uh, with, the, with the House of Representatives. You only know a few of them. But I never heard her name before. Apparently, she's the youngest um, uh, senator, uh, first woman to be elected to the Senate from the state of Alabama. She's 41 years old. Listen to this impassioned speech she gave about the border and what's happening down there. Touched on at the very beginning is that Democrats say we have no solutions. I guarantee you, if you take a look at this group up here, we have put forth solution after solution after solution. I mean, you look at H.R. 2 and what you're trying to move here in the Senate. You look at the work you've done. Guys, I would have never seen the border firsthand if this woman didn't know that I needed to see it immediately upon entering the United States Senate. I followed up with a trip with John Cornyn because they care. These people down there, Senator Blackburn would talk to them. She knew them. We walked through and we got to hear women tell us their story. And their stories are brutalizing. And to Senator Cruz's point, if you're not telling it, that's on you. Because when a woman sits there and she tells you not just about being raped, but how many times a day she's raped. When she tells you about having to lay in that bed while they come in and out and in and out. It's disgusting 
and it's despicable. Folks, you look at the number of people that have died at the border because Joe Biden has made it more and more enticing to come here. Make no mistake, this is a result of failed policies. We could fix this. We can't throw money at this and fix it. We have to actually change the policies. I looked in the eyes of CBP agents who said we're exhausted. We're not only having to be paper pushers, we're also trying to do what we do, what we took an oath of office to do, and that is protect this border. But when they tell you about finding small children who have drowned in that river or pulling a lifeless body of a woman who is pregnant with twins, it changes the way you think about what's happening. Drug cartels, guys, they have their tentacles all over this country. We need you to start telling that story. To Senator Cruz's point, they will tell you exactly how much they pay to get here. Then they'll tell you where they're going, what their job's going to be, and how much more they owe. Got it? And guess what? Just the other day in Alabama, a gentleman told me, if you will come back here with me in this neighborhood right behind you, you will see migrants who are here illegally, and they will tell you about the drug cartels coming around every other week to collect. Guys, that's not the American dream. That's an American nightmare. We know what policies work. President Trump has secured the border. We know what to do. We just have to have a leader who has the courage to do it. And I am so sick of Joe Biden lecturing us about the soul of America. Let me tell you, he needs to have the heart to actually listen to people. He needs to have the compassion to, to actually hear those stories. Um, the willingness to work with people. And Joe Biden needs the courage to take decisive action. We are standing here ready to do this. And what he put forth in that supplemental is an absolute joke. It will only facilitate this crisis more and more every day. By the end of his tenure, we will have over 10 million people here, which would make that, by the way, if you put everybody in one place, the, what, 11th largest state in the United States of America. Folks, this is out of control. We've got to do something. We would not allow this to happen in a third world country. We should, certainly should not allow it to happen in the United States of America. Bravo. Bravo, Senator Katie Britt from Alabama. I like this woman. And you can hear the emotion in her voice. And this is, this is the number one problem in America right now. No doubt about it. And it's purposefully being done. That's the most frustrating part about it. This is what they want. Whoever they are. Whoever's controlling Biden. And what's the ultimate purpose of this? To just allow open borders and allow an invasion of your country with human traffickers, drug dealers, uh, all under the, the facade of asylum seekers. Uh, it's just outrageous. And, you know, you know, liberals are, you know, 100% for it until it's in their backyard. You're starting to see now Democratic mayors and cities that are being overrun by migrants, you know, pushing back and saying, this got to stop. Now that it's in their backyard. I saw on the Internet a, a video of uh, a guy sitting there in his uh, front of his house with a, a, a hose and he's watering his grass or his bushes or whatever. 
and he has a Biden T-shirt on, Biden-Harris T-shirt on. And uh, someone comes up to him and starts talking to him about immigration and everything else. And then he flips, he flips the table on him. Listen to this. Hypocrite. You just think that anyone can come to the U.S. Like, Absolutely. If you go to, the, go to New York, go to the Statue of Liberty, what's it say? All is welcome. <laughs> I don't think it says that, but, dude, this is great because okay. I just happened to pick up um, three guys from Honduras. Well, they were at Home Depot. They're, they're from Honduras, and they have nowhere to go. So this just works out perfect. Look, um, Hector takes medication twice a day. And... <laughs> And right now, they got to use the bathroom. All three of them. Uh, but it's uh, is it cool if they stay here? No. No. Why not? Stay, no. What do you mean? I don't know them. Who are they? What do you mean? Uh, so they can't stay here then? It's cool if they come to the country, just not your house? No. Oh, come on. Oh, come on. Hey, hypocrite. Let's go, guys. Let's go. Sorry, man. Hypocrite. That was great. I love that. And he actually walks up. He's got three immigrants with him. <laughs> and he hands him the bag with the medication for Hector. And the guy's looking at him like he's nuts. Uh, and then he asks him, if, uh, well, can't they stay with you? Oh, no. Uh, yeah, okay. Uh, hypocrites. They're all hypocrites. All right, we hear a lot about the, the one percenters, the top one percent of Americans who make all the money, pay all the taxes, and uh, uh, they're vilified many times. Uh, by the mainstream media, but meanwhile, almost all of them are one percenters themselves. Most people who run the country are one percenters. Uh, so uh, to vilify themselves, I don't know. Uh, but how many people think or know that they really belong in the top one percent in the country? Uh, using data from personal finance advisory services company Smart Asset. Uh, we uh, have the annual income threshold at which a household could be considered part of the top 1% in their state. Now, some states, it takes higher yearly earnings to be part of the one percenters. But let's see which ones they are. All right, so if you, the, the most, um, the top of the list, a household in Connecticut needs to earn $953,000 annually to be part of the one percenters. So 1% of the citizens or households in Connecticut make 953000 or more. Wow. Uh, I don't know what the population of Connecticut is, but that's a lot of people. And this is the highest minimum threshold in the country. In the same, reason, uh, same region, Massachusetts requires a minimum, a minimum annual earnings of 903401 California is next. 844,266. Our hometown of New Jersey uh, is number four. To be in a one percenters uh, in New Jersey, you have to earn 817,346. Washington State comes in at fifth place, 804,853. New York, sixth place, 776,662. And if you want to take the national average, the national average to be in the 1% of the nation, income-wise, you have to earn at least 652657 
Now, of course, these states with the highest income to be in a 1% have the highest tax rates. Uh, in Connecticut, uh, the top 1% pay 28.4% tax rate. And in New Jersey, it's 2801 uh, In California, it's 27%. Now, what state should you move to just so you can qualify to be in a one percenters? Well, the poorest nation in the state is West Virginia. You could be in the top 1% in West Virginia um, by just earning 367582 uh, And next to last is Mississippi uh, at 381919 Well, I don't think too many of us um, are in the top 1% in our state, especially if you live in the Northeast. Uh, you better be a hedge fund manager, uh, a baseball or football player, uh, or an entertainer. Uh, then you'd be 1%. But it must be nice to be in the top 5%. I think uh, those income levels are much more uh, reasonable uh, to be in the top 5%. I think that would be a great goal for all of us. If we could be in the top 5% income-wise, I think we're doing pretty well. So Joe Biden is supposed to be uh, an empathetic guy, a man of the people, and uh, he's not that at all. He's one nasty SOB. He has been his whole career. And he is now. And when people get to mention it, it even get worse when it comes to crankiness and meanness and whatnot. I'm going to play for you an exchange um, between him and I think it was a, an auto worker um, when he was picketing with them. Oh, by the way, you know, President of the United States on the picket line. First time ever. Presidents are not supposed to take sides in these kind of uh, labor issues. They're supposed to be an impartial negotiator to try to get it solved. He's out there with a, with, with a picket sign in his hand. They don't care about traditions and what's right or wrong. They just don't care. So whatever's politically expedient at the time. And uh, so he's talking to this uh, union worker who brings up guns. He says, you know, a lot of union workers, you know, you know like to have guns. Why are you trying to take away their Second Amendment rights? Now, listen how nasty Biden gets. And it's kind of... Not easy to hear, but he curses at him. He pushes, almost touches him, pushes him away. Really nasty. It is a union vote when there's a large portion of the union workers that are gun enthusiasts, and you are actively trying to diminish your Second Amendment right to take away our guns. You're poor. All right, thank you. Now, notice us. You're not allowed to own any weapon. I'm not taking your gun away at all. You need 100 rounds? Well, you were in the video when you said you were going to take our gun down. I did not say that. That's yeah. not true. I did it's not say that. Video. Okay, this is not okay. Hold up. Hold up. All right. Hey, let's you went up to me. There's a lot of guys. A lot of guys want me, man. I'm not worried. Hold on. Give me a break. Don't put such a worry about it. How do you intend on getting the union vote when there's a large force? Oh, very presidential. Nice guy, that Joe Biden. And you couldn't hear it, but he's cursing at the guy. Because the guy's asking him a question. Hey, look, you're, you're anti-Second Amendment. Uh, how do you reconcile that with uh, union workers, many of them who have guns and want to continue to be able to buy them, possess them? And it uh, went down pretty quickly. But that's your president. So this week, the House uh, passed uh, a bill to provide another $300 million to Zelensky in Ukraine uh, into what is... Uh, just a black hole, black money pit. Uh, how much of this money is being siphoned off by corrupt 
government officials in Ukraine, the most corrupt country in the world. You know, we're paying, we're paying, we gave them money for their pensions. As I said on Wednesday, we're, we're, we're paying the salaries of 56,000 first responders. And who's taking a piece of that money all the way down the line? And I wonder how much is going back from Ukraine to the big guy and the Hunter crime family. Uh, it's just outrageous that how it goes on. And more and more money. Now they want $24 billion more they're trying to pass in Congress. This is ridiculous. Now, um, Mitch McConnell said this week that funding Ukraine and backing Ukraine is America's number one priority. Forget the border. Forget our U.S. citizens who are struggling to put food on the table. Forget our veterans who are living on the street, homeless. But Ukraine is the number one thing. Providing assistance for the Ukrainians to defeat the Russians, that's the number one priority for the United States right now. They're losing. They're going to lose the war. There's no way they're going to win this war. The best thing that the West could do, the Ukrainians could do, to preserve what's left of their country is to negotiate a peace deal. But there's no talk of peace. Nobody wants peace. Zelensky's totally against it. He wants all his land back. NATO and the West don't want to hear anything about peace talks. I've never seen anything like it in my entire life. I've never seen a conflict, especially with a nuclear power like Russia, where there's no talk about peace talks. We're trying to get out of this or an off-ramp of some kind. It's just getting escalated, escalated, and escalated. And this isn't going to end well unless the Ukrainians and the West realize that the best thing for the world and for the Ukrainians is peace negotiations. Now, Zelensky was asked about, he fired a defense minister or somebody that was running the military. Apparently, this guy siphoned off a billion dollars. That's why he was like, oh, he got caught with his billion dollars, and and he's insisting, Zelensky, that this didn't come from Americans' money. This came from Ukrainians' money. Of all you have to know, all these cases, all all these cases are not with the help, not connecting that, not connected with the help of our partners. So it's not about the weapon of our partners or money for the weapon or... Uh, money for the uh, budget to uh, give uh, pensions, social support, etc. It's uh, in other cases. It's not about the partners. So, so part- this, these are Ukrainian. These are Ukrainian cases. But anyway, yes. But anyway, it doesn't matter for me. Now, we will fight and will in the, and win in this war. But again, I'm underlining: it's not the money of our partners. Yeah, and he's talking about the money of our partners, meaning the United States. How does he know that the money that's being absconded by the oligarchs in his government is in U.S. dollars? How much money do you believe has probably been stolen that we've supplied? The $125 billion we've given them so far. How much of that is in people's pockets or Swiss bank accounts? A lot of it. I am sure. And I'm sure a lot of that's been kicked back to the United States for the people who helped facilitate this. And the Republicans should be ashamed of themselves continuing to fund this war. That the Ukrainians are losing. The media is lying to us. How many more people got to die in Ukraine? 
Well, they lose 400,000 soldiers. There's no young men left in Ukraine. But Zelensky, he's going to fight on it and he's going to win. It's not going to happen. All right, I want to end the show um, with um, uh, Charlie Munger. Most people know who uh, Warren Buffett is. The chairman of Berkshire Hathaway, the multi-billionaire, the number one investor in history. But little people, very few people know that Charlie Munger is his partner and started with him years and years ago. He's 90-something years old, I believe, as is Warren Buffett. These two guys are considered to be the smartest men in investing at all. But Charlie Munger, uh, the less known of the two, is a funny guy. And over the years, he said a lot of funny things uh, uh, when it comes to money, finance, investing. Uh, So let's listen to some of the wise words of uh, 90-something-year-old Charlie Munger, Warren Buffett's partner. Of you who are about to enter business school or who there, I recommend you learn to do it our way, but at least until you're out of school, you have to pretend to do it their way. People don't seem to get that point. Do you have any idea why, Charlie? <laughs> Warren, if people weren't so often wrong, we wouldn't be so rich. No. <laughs> yeah, I think you would understand any presentation using the word EBITDA. If every time you saw that word, you just substituted the phrase bullshit earnings. <laughs> so, no, I'm, I'm optimistic about life. I can be optimistic when I'm nearly dead. Surely the rest of you can handle a little inflation. <laughs> and of course, that's the other advice. The best way to get what you want in life is to, to deserve what you want. How could it be otherwise? It's not crazy enough so that the world is looking for a lot of undeserving people to reward. Everybody wants fiscal virtue, but not quite yet. They're like that guy who felt that way about sex. He's willing to give it up, but not quite yet. Well, <laughs> you don't want to be like the motion picture executive in California, and they said the funeral was so large because everybody wanted to make sure he was dead. It was investment banker-aided fraud. Now, not exactly novel. <laughs> that does not mean we approve of every buyback at all, though. I mean, we've seen no, no, no. Yeah. I think some people just buy it to keep the stock up, and that, of course, is insane and immoral. But apart from that, it's fine. I've listened to so many nonsensical cost of capital discussions that I've never heard an intelligent one. Yeah. Charlie's big on lowering expectations. Absolutely. That's the way I got married. <laughs> My wife lowered her ex- expectations. Sure, there are a lot of things in life way more important than wealth. All that said, some people do get confused. I play golf with a man, he says, what good is health? You can't buy money with it. Well, there are a whole lot of things I don't think about. And one of them is companies that are losing two or three billion dollars a year and going public. In accounting, you can do things like they do in Italy when they have trouble with the mail. You know, it piles up and irritates the postal employees. They just throw away a few carloads and then everything's flowing smoothly there. Folks. <laughs> that happened in some unnamed international company, country. <laughs> yeah, Italy. The general system for money management requires people to pretend that they can do something that they can't do and to pretend to like it when they really don't. I think that's a terrible way to spend your life, but it's very well paid. 
Well, I can't give you a formulaic approach because I don't use one. If you want a formula, you should go back to graduate school. I'll give you lots of formulas that won't work. As Samuel Johnson said famously, I can give you an argument, but I can't give you an understanding. It's extraordinary how resistant some people are to learning anything. He volunteers. No, the board at Lubersall did not breach its duty because we were not going to participate in the transaction if they didn't do it our way. Has anybody else got an easy question? And yet it's perfectly obvious, at least to me, that to say that derivative accounting in America is a sewer is an insult to sewage. <laughs> it's not that great a business as a business, casualty insurance. It's a tough game. There are temptations to be stupid in it. It's like banking. And, but competency is a, relative, is a relative concept. And what a lot of us need, including the one speaking, what I needed to get ahead was to compete, compete against idiots. And luckily, there's a large supply. Ah, some great wisdom from uh, Charlie Munger, uh, renowned, legendary investor and partner of Warren Buffett. All right, it's the end of our podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. Please share the podcast with friends and family. Be sure to join me Wednesday for our Wednesday podcast. I'll have it up by 4 p.m. You want to get in touch with me, just send me an email at lou at thefinancialphysician.com. Lou at thefinancialphysician.com. You want to call up and make an appointment for a no-obligation, one-hour consultation. We'll go over all your financial issues. Call my office at 732-905-8100-732-905-8100. See you on the Wednesday podcast, and don't forget, I'm not far right. I'm just right so far.